strong women, smart policy, solid theology, and no apology. This is Concerned Women Today with Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, the largest public policy organization for women in the nation. Here's your host, Penny Nance. Welcome to Concerned Women Today. This is Penny Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, and joining me today is my guest, is Amber Smith, who was formerly the Deputy Assistant to the Secretary of Defense. But before that, and and we've known each other for a while, Amber, um, she's the author of a recent book called Danger Close, My Epic Journey as a Combat Helicopter Pilot in Iraq and Afghanistan. You were with the 101st Airborne Division and flew two combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we met after that when you were doing some work with Fox News and others, and you're just just beautiful, sweet Christian woman, a mom of young children, and I just am so appreciative of your time today in joining us. Absolutely. It is so great to be with you and always a big fan of you and Concerned Women for America. Well, so Amber, I really was excited to have you on because I have been thinking a lot as we're watching this humanitarian crisis unfold in living color on the news every night, I'm just thinking about how it must feel for the combat veterans that served over there. But before we get into that, it hit me like a ton of bricks that we have a whole group of people who are voters, they're old enough to vote, who weren't even alive on September 11th. You know, I have a son who's 20, who was a baby in a bassinet. So they don't, there's people that don't even understand why we were there. So let's, you and I back up together and you jump in anywhere you want. And then we'll kind of just sort of set the stage. So September 11th happened. There was over almost 3000 Americans that were murdered by Al Qaeda who was organizing with the help and the, and the aiding and abetting of the Taliban in this sort of utopia for terrorists in the country of Afghanistan. And it came to our attention very quickly, I think almost immediately, the White House, the Bush White House knew what had happened and, and who was responsible for it and suggested very strongly in no uncertain terms that they were to turn over bin Laden and others. And the response from the Taliban is like, well, we leave that, leave that to Allah. And we said, no, we're going to have the U.S. military and all their might settle this. And so our military did what the military has been trained to do. And with the blessing and the thanks of the American people, there was very little resistance to this at the time. They went in and, and um, invaded Afghanistan and cleaned out the terrorist nest and worked to try to create a situation in which Americans could be safe. Now, there's a lot to be said about it. It was not uh, a perfect situation. And certainly every president since George Bush has said, that cannot be an ongoing situation we need to leave. But we move forward and we, we are living in this time where Joe Biden apparently did not listen. President Biden did not listen to military leaders and intelligence that told him, listen, this has to be very careful. There was a plan that was being worked out. In fact, I tweeted out a story, a report from the former head of the um, transition for President Trump who talked about the plan that they had, that they were setting up, had to be done very carefully and what the actual conditions were for withdrawal. 
And instead, the Biden administration jumped forward and we're seeing the anarchy that has ensued. So I guess I want to then go to you, Amber, and maybe just get your thoughts on, you know, tell us how you ended up serving in, in Afghanistan and Iraq, what that was like for you as a woman, as, you know, as a Kiwa uh, helicopter pilot, what that was like, but also what it meant to be an American on the ground there. So 9-11 is really what, backtracking a little bit, I grew up in a super patriotic family, um, lots of military um, history throughout the generations. And when 9-11 happened, it really just um, made me focus in terms of wanting to serve my country. And I felt the best way that I could do that was through um, my experiences with aviation to become a pilot. And so I joined the army, had the best program. I, I became a Kiowa Warrior helicopter pilot. It's a light attack reconnaissance helicopter. We fly extremely low to the ground and ended up deploying to both Iraq and Afghanistan and uh, was in this very male-dominated environment. I was 23 years old in charge of this multi-million dollar aircraft making life and death decisions and you know, commanding missions. And so I was tested mentally, physically, emotionally every single every single day, but I am so grateful for being able to have that experience and getting to serve my country um, and give back to the nation that I love that provides, you know, the freedoms that we get to enjoy uh, today. And so on the ground in Afghanistan, I was there from January 2008 all the way through that entire year. So I was there from 08 to 09. And uh, you know, it, it was much different in terms of the focus. Um, back then, we Osama bin Laden hadn't been killed yet, and people understood what our mission was a little bit more. After uh, 2011, when Osama bin Laden was killed, the, the um, mission really shifted more towards a nation-building focus. Uh, that's not what the military's job is to do. The military's job is to fight wars and win them. And so I think there was a there was a large shift to where we saw even military commanders not being able to articulate what our mission was or what our end state was. And it became much easier for Washington, D.C. to just continue down the road of the status quo rather than um, ask for some accountability with the billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, which is now in the trillions mm -hmm. um, and the almost twenty five hundred lives that have been lost. So how does it make you feel, though, to watch on TV as military equipment, very expensive military equipment now, is in the hands of the Taliban? I mean, I, I don't even know what to do with that, frankly. It's been absolutely unreal to see the, the U.S. government didn't take seriously some of the problems that arose in terms of the Taliban taking over Afghanistan in a matter of weeks and seizing all of our equipment in terms of aircraft and rifles and all sorts of transportation equipment, night vision goggles, which poses a threat to our aircraft. It's, uh, it is, like I said, unreal. I've struggled for this past week and a half to try to like just put into words how I actually feel about what has unfolded in Afghanistan. And it's been difficult, but I mean, we have to realize that that all of that equipment is going to be sold 
to hostile entities or used against us. Um, and And so that is the number one danger right now when it comes to that equipment. Well, and it didn't have to be that way. That's the thing, you know, even for people who very acutely uh, agreed with President Trump that, you know, this, we can't be there forever. We can't fight forever wars. Although I will point out that we still have what, 15 bases in South Korea, but okay. I, I understand, you know, and I, and I understand what you're saying that the mission changed. And so we can't be there to nation build, but the original mission was to keep us safe. And I, I don't believe that as of today, the way that this is unfurling, that we'll be more safe. In fact, I feel less safe. How about you? Oh, it, it was completely botched. The withdrawal was 100% completely botched. Under the Trump administration, they had a condition-based withdrawal where the Taliban had to adhere to certain um, ag- certain agreements in order for us to to proceed with the withdrawal. And if they broke any of that, if they uh, came after, you know, d- different things that were in the agreement, then President Trump spoke to the leader of the Taliban directly and said, "We will come after you, and we will, you know, unload the wrath of the U.S. military on you." And I, the Taliban understood that. They understood President Trump came from a place of strength. Uh, unfortunately, with President Biden, it was it's just been mistake after mistake. He didn't want to hold to President Trump's withdrawal plan. Instead, he extended it, um, which we're now seeing the deadline is a week away, August 31st. It gave the Taliban this entire summer to essentially make moves and, and gain ground uh, that they wouldn't have had necessarily been able to do under the, the Trump plan. And so it's just, it's really unbelievable. And now we have thousands of Americans trapped. Like this is, it's unreal to me that President Biden- Situation. I mean, let's be real. Let's be real. I actually just wrote about this, that this is going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. And the State Department, it keeps talking about how like, well, if Americans want to leave, we'll make sure they get out. Really? How are you going to do that? Because the Taliban just said that, Women and Afghans are no longer allowed to travel to the airport. They're ripping up American citizens' passports and SIV visa holders' visas. So how on earth are we actually going to get the Americans that want out, out? And when they keep saying the Americans that want out, what Americans want to stay Stay. under Taliban rule? Like, come on. Right. Let's be real about what the Taliban is actually like. Well, let me back up for a second and just sort of amplify some of what you said, all of all of which I agree with. So the piece that uh, that I tweeted at at PY Nance on Twitter is uh, a New York Post story written by Cash Patel, an op-ed, and he his the title is "Iran Trumps Iran Team Trumps Afghan Withdrawal." Biden's attempt to blame us is just sad. And he talks about the conditional withdrawal and what the bases were and what the plans were and how that was supposed to look. Now, here's what I know about President Trump and nobody loves this about him. But if this wasn't working, he would have stopped and done something different. He was not going to leave Americans ever in harm's way. You can say what you want to about him, but there was no way 
that this would have unfurled like it has happened. It would not have been botched like it has happened under his watch because he would never leave Americans the way that the Biden administration is, has done. Um, yeah, and he's, he even said, he was like, we were not going to leave equipment there. It, was, it would be retrieved or destroyed in place. And the fact that um, the Biden administration thought that it was fine to close Bagram Air Base which is so close to Kabul. And I mean, when I say so close, it's like a 10 minute helicopter flight. Mm -hmm. It's not, uh, but, but like closing off like an exit route like that um, and trapping so many Americans in an urban environment such as Kabul. And now they have one runway and it's just, it, it boggles the mind. Like, and, and I don't understand how the military, um, agreed to shut Bagram Air Base the way that they did. Well, I, I have a theory on that. And I, I'm just going to float it to you, okay? This is a conspiracy theory. Our military are not stupid. They know how to blow up equipment. They know how to disarm, disable equipment. I think it was part of the deal. I think the Biden administration couldn't bring over vats of cash to the Taliban, the way that they did the Iranians, the way the, uh, excuse me, the way the, the Obama administration, I guess is Obama Biden administration. I, I wonder, I guess I don't, I don't know, but I wonder if this wasn't some sort of backroom deal that we'll leave, we'll leave you all of this billions of dollars worth of equipment if you'll allow us to leave, if you'll allow us to leave uh, safely. I mean, I, I, our military would have never agreed to that. I think this is coming down from the politicians. Well, I think a big problem is the, uh, how unrealistic the, uh, you know, our US officials, Congress, um, presidential administrations, the Pentagon, the State Department, um, how unrealistic they were about the Afghan military and the Afghan government. I've been saying it for years um, that the Taliban was going to take over when we left and uh, that the Afghan military and Afghan government could not stand on its own without the U.S. military and without the American dollar. Mm -hmm. And nobody else, like nobody in the government was realistic about that. Instead, you saw generals testify in front of Congress, like general after general, talking about how impressed they were with the Afghan government and how they exceeded expectations and how phenomenal they were. And it's like, no, the reality is, is that the attrition rate was so high because they were extremely uneducated. They were loyal to their tribal regions, not necessarily the unified government. Uh, their commanders were corrupt and stealing their paychecks and you know, not even feeding them properly. And so, of course, when they are then faced with a threat, almost, you know, as bad as the Taliban is, it's like, okay, how did you guys not, like, think that this was a possibility? So we had, with the drawdown of troops was down to 2,500 people, right? Now others have to come, have been sent back in. And I, um, I just found out that I have a close family member that I knew was deployed. I didn't know where he was until just a few minutes ago. And uh, he's in Kabul, I found out. And I'm not, you know, I'm, gonna say, I'm not gonna give his name, but this, you know, it gets real, it gets close. And yeah. I just, 
um, you know, he, he's there doing what our military men and women do and trying to, you know, trying to put forth the mission in order to extract Americans and to do what they can do in the middle of this crazy, but we were down to 2,500 people. There really hadn't been uh, any attack on Americans for the last year. And I don't know, maybe they were back sharpening their knives waiting, but it, it seems like things were going pretty well. Um, but yet the, the goal was zero Americans. Why did people think that, I, I don't know, that just seemed like that that was never going to be realistic for there to be peace in that country or for it not to once again become a playground for terrorists without some sort of American presence there. So it's, uh, I mean, I think, you know, just as we were talking about, about being realistic about the situation in Afghanistan, it wasn't uh, realistically, um, the Taliban was going to take back over. It was just a matter of time. I guess that is what is, uh, you know, what differing of opinions have in terms of like how long it would actually take the Taliban to take back over. Uh, based on the trillions of dollars and 20 years and the, you know, priceless training that we gave to them, we assumed it would be uh, much longer instead of a few weeks. Uh, so the reality of the Taliban taking back over was was the real situation on the ground. Politically, uh, seventy percent of Americans wanted the war in Afghanistan to end. Uh, so politically, I think President Bi President Trump, President Biden, uh, they decided it, enough was enough. You know, enough with spending fifty billion dollars annually. Um, we have given them everything that we did, it's time for them to stand on their own, which logically makes sense. Uh, it was it was just, unfortunately, um, the Taliban was able to rise very, very rapidly. It's almost unreal how quickly they were able to take back the country uh, and really claim rule over Afghanistan. So you, you don't know this, um, Amber, but my son, the one who was the baby in the crib on September 11th, is now a rising junior Army ROTC. Oh, wow. Good for him. At, uh, at um, Virginia Tech and Army Bound. And I, I wonder, you know, as I look at him and other, someone else here in the office, his daughter is uh, Army ROTC at James Madison, and she's actually a senior, so she's getting ready to get her commission and go in next year. And I do wonder if they'll be back, because remember the point, and you know this better than I do, of going at the, in the, at the beginning was the fact that we had terrorist organizing against Americans. And, and remember, September the 1st wasn't the first attack. We had two embassies in the U.S. coal that were mm -hmm. bombed and Americans died. Um, and those went unanswered. And of course, then bin Laden was emboldened and went further. What? Tell me what you're thinking about that. I mean, do, you know, no one thought, well, I guess everyone hoped that we would never be back in Iraq. And of course, mm -hmm. we were. I mean, what, what, are, what do you think? Well, unfortunately, I think it's a possibility. I, I mean, now we have 6,000 troops in Afghanistan. 
Right, so uh, from I, 20, up from 2,500, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, depending upon how this uh, deadline, August 31st, plays out, um, I think things could get very, very ugly. Like you mentioned, a, a hostage, hostage situation. Uh, let's not forget that it's not just the Taliban who is roaming the streets of Kabul. We've got ISIS, mm -hmm. we've got the Haqqani network, and we have Al-Qaeda there as well. Um, so I think a, once that deadline comes and goes, I think a lot of those groups are going to um, think that they have free reign to do whatever they want because the Taliban has said, absolutely not. There's going to be no extension to the deadline. Uh, and President Biden has a, agreed to it. He said, no, there's no plan to get an extension. Uh, I think they are speaking directly. Just, just the news that broke this morning was that the Taliban had spoken with the director of the CIA. So they are trying to work some deals out. Uh, but I mean, the White House has admitted that they don't even know how many American citizens are there. I think that the risk to American lives in Kabul and other places in Afghanistan right now is as high as it gets. Um, in addition to Americans who we are praying for and so worried about, we also have people that were, and we've mentioned this, people that were our allies that we promised we would protect. We promised um, SIV visas in order, special visas in order to be able to come safely and bring their families. What's the risk for them? What's the risk for them? And also what's the risk for Christians in that country? It's, it is astronomical. It is they people who worked with Americans, the interpreters, uh, people who worked on uh, the bases that, you know, because when I was in Afghanistan, you had so much of the work done on the bases is done by Afghans. Like, so they don't speak English, but it is their job. They were hired and they, they clean, they uh, work at the laundry facilities. They, they, or, yeah. it, they are, so they all have that connection to the U.S. military. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, those people, the Taliban is going to severely punish those who have worked with the government. And then a lot of the interpreters that worked with um, Americans, they are very westernized because they've worked for years with our troops. And, uh, you know, their dream is to come to America and they love the Americans that they worked with. You hear about these stories about American service members who have these very close connections um, with their interpreters. It's because they work together for years. They, that relationship that you get soldier to soldier from serving in combat together, they also have that with their interpreter because mm -hmm. they were right there with them. So it's going, if, if we as a nation do not get those people out who worked with us, they are going to be severely punished by the Taliban. And I just, it is absolutely devastating. So devastating. And well, then on the, on the, you mean murdered, tortured, tortured, murdered, taken and given away as spoils of war. You know, we're starting to hear the stories already, right? The stories of the Taliban going, uh, going house to house, demanding their phones to see if they have any English, uh, you know, communications on their phones. Or Bible apps. If they have a Bible like app, that. they murder them immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and and then the other story that I, you know, 
I, I just am so brokenhearted about is they've told parents that if you have a daughter 12 or older to put an X on the side of your house so that, of course, it makes it easy for them to know who to come and collect as the spoils of war is given as, you know, sexual, you know, trophies to the Taliban fighters. I mean, the, what is the, what is Afghanistan going to be like for women and girls when we leave? It's going to be life under Sharia law, which is uh, the most brutal environment for women. They're property. Um, they are treated like animals. Uh, it is, it, it's just horrible. And I've seen so many, you know, uh, young women, like young 20 Afghan women, um, especially the ones that are in the more urban areas like Kabul, um, who have been educated and have lived a life uh, where women are able to work and, you know, go after their goals and dreams. And then suddenly um, the Taliban rolls into town and, and they're like, cover up in a burqa and you are now property and you have no rights. Right. Uh, can, can you even imagine that being in your think young 20s that, right? and you sort of experienced freedom? Think about, you know, your daughter, suddenly a, a group of violent men roll into town and you're told that your daughter, you have no rights. You can't leave home without a man. If you uh, disobey your husband, you can be beaten and, and flogged. If you in some way incite a morality clause, whether it's real or in, in, or, you know, not, you can be stoned to death, executed. And by the way, we're going to take your nine-year-old and we're going to quote unquote, marry her off to some man. I mean, it is, it is the most brutal thing you can imagine. And like you said, you know, you have women who have gone to school and who the U S worked very hard to, to help in order to create opportunity for them. Uh, we have got to pray for them. We have got to especially work. And I, and I feel very strongly about this, bringing over the people that put their lives on the line, the people, the interpreters and others and their families, because their daughters will be taken. Their daughters will be brutalized. They will be sex trafficked. And it's, it's harrowing to even think about. We owe that to them. We owe that. And as Christians, we need to open up our homes and our wallets and work with people like Samaritan's Purse. By the way, you may know this. Did you know that there was, uh, Amber, a group of um, women combatants for the Afghan army that apparently were very effective? They knew what yes. they were fighting for. And, uh, I, I, you know, I've, I can't really talk about it too much, but I know that there are some efforts going on even as we speak right now to help them and their families. All of that has to be done. Absolutely. And I've been so like, it just, it, it really, I mean, it's, I'm so thankful for all of the work in the private sector. We've seen private citizens, private companies who are working day and nights to get these, um, you know, our Afghan allies out of the country because they know what is about to happen, but it's just difficult that it's just difficult, um, to accept that they are often being more effective than our own they governments. Are. Like, they are. Yeah. It says a lot about the chaos that has ensued and how horribly this has been handled. I mean, again, I don't understand how on earth 
no one understood that you had to first extract the Americans, extract the people who worked alongside of us. And then, you know, at once we've gotten everybody out that needs to come out, then we can start to, you know, back out of this, the situation and then do what needs to be done. But the way it was handled now, there is no excuse for it. Zero, zero excuse. It was like the, the, the people that were going to be assisting with that, the military in terms of getting people out of the country, like, like, did they miss a step in the withdrawal plan? That's like, no, we need the military's help to get these people out of country. And I mean, maybe it just, maybe it leads to the point that they actually had no plan and they weren't actually going to get these people out of the country. Well, Cash um, Patel says that they, they, when they handed over the Trump plan to the Biden administration, they gave them everything that they had done, gave them the complete plan that they completely disregarded it. They knew better. They weren't interested. They weren't interested in following it. And the, so therefore you get what you get. Yeah, I think the Biden administration completely scratched like everything, all the work that the Trump administration had done in terms of the withdrawal. I think the Biden administration was like, nope, we don't want to touch this. Yeah, it's Trump um, derangement syndrome, right? It, exactly. It over again, if Trump did it, it can't be good was their thinking. And, you know, listen, he was listening to his advisors. He was listening to the U.S. military who know a thing or two about how to do this. And so this is, you know, the chaos is something that I fear is going to going to really be a problem for us in foreign policy for many, many years to come. What's your feeling on that? It is. Uh, and we're already seeing the implications of it. Um, NATO is in disarray right now. Our partners and allies across the globe are infuriated and it, it's really going to come to the next sort of conflict or time when we need an alliance to stick together. They're going to say, can we count on the Americans? I think this has strategic long-term implications uh, for our national security moving forward. Um, we're already seeing on the other side of things with China and Russia and Iran lining and playing war games together. And sure. it's just, uh, it, it, and then the fact that the president continues to downplay uh, what is going on in Afghanistan. He doesn't seem to differentiate between 70% of the Americans wanting the war to end Afghanistan and then this complete debacle of the withdrawal and, uh, and what looks like a pending hostage situation and leaving thousands of Afghans that worked with us and risked their lives for years behind. Yeah, it's almost like he thinks if he, you know, if he just ignores it, it's going to go away. And like, no, unfortunately, it's not yeah. going to go away. This is, you know, and of course, the Chinese and the Russians are over on the sidelines rubbing their hands together, knowing that, you know, this puts them in a much better strategic position. They're, they seem strong. We seem weak. And it impacts our ability to keep Americans safe. I mean, that's just the bottom line. China is emboldened by this, like, more than we could can believe right now. Um, they are going to be making moves on Taiwan, other areas of the globe, because they know that uh, they know the type of leader that President Biden is. Um, the writing's on the wall. He is not a strong leader. They didn't want to do anything under Trump because they were they didn't know what he was going to do. Uh, but they took him at his word. 
which is important in a leader. And so I, I think this has just, the way this has played out on the world stage, it's going to be completely devastating for our country. I love it that I hear your baby in the background or, <laughs> or, or your mommy and are so proud Real life. of you. Yes, we're so proud of you. We've just been so grateful to work alongside you through the years. And so I just want to remind everyone, tell them again, the name of your book and where they can get it and also follow you on social media. So my book is called Danger Close. It's uh goes through my journey as a combat helicopter pilot in Iraq and Afghanistan and being a young woman in a combat zone. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, uh, anywhere basically that they sell books. And you can also follow me on social media at Amber Smith USA. Well, I appreciate you and um, can't wait to see you in person at some point. Um, but thank you. Let me just say once more, Amber, thank you for your service and we're grateful for you. So come to concernwomen.org and you can follow me on at PYNance on Twitter, follow me on Facebook and at PYNance1 on Instagram. So Amber, thank you. God bless you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to order your book as soon as we get off. I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much, Penny. It was so great to speak with you. God bless. Thanks for listening. Concerned Women Today is a ministry of Concerned Women for America, bringing you biblical perspective to today's most pressing issues. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. We pray this episode has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit concernedwomen.org. That's concernedwomen.org.